Welcome to the Jason and Scott Show, your source for the latest news and trends in the e-commerce industry. Featuring host Jason Retail Geek Goldberg, SVP of Commerce at Razorfish, and Scott Wingo, founder and executive chairman of Channel Advisor. Here are Jason and Scott. Welcome to the Jason and Scott Show. This is episode 101, being recorded on Thursday, September 14th, 2017. I'm your host, Jason Retail Geek Goldberg, and as usual, I'm here with your co-host, Scott Wingo. Hey, Jason, and welcome back, Jason and Scott Show listeners. In this week's episode, we have a really special treat for you. In a world where everyone's really scrambling to survive against Amazon, we wanted to highlight a brand that is really thriving. Please welcome to the Jason and Scott Show, Drew Green, CEO of Indochino, who is joining us live from Vancouver. Thanks, guys. Appreciate you having uh, having us on. That's great. Thank you. Uh, it's it's entirely our pleasure. Uh, let's get the really controversial questions out of the way early. Uh, did Scott pronounce your name right? <laughs> He did. He did. He didn't say it with an E, but that's that's okay because I don't use E at the end of green. So, <laughs> awesome. Um, and uh, you know, one of the things we always like to start out with is get an idea of how you uh, came to your current role. Um, so, before we talk about uh, your current role, can you tell us a little bit about your background and and what, what so, sort of the origin story for Indochino? Yeah, why don't, why don't I do both? Because uh, both are, are a bit different. So, you know, myself, I've been in, you know, e-commerce and, and retail for almost 20 years. Uh, first company we, we, we built up was really the time of time of my life. Uh, and we sold to DoubleClick in the late 90s. And from there, I uh, had this amazing journey uh, at DoubleClick in New York. Uh, ended up being head of retail. And as you know, DoubleClick was was acquired uh, a couple times by private equity and then Google, and then went uh, had the privilege of uh, um, going to a company by the name of Shop.com and helping build that into a top ten multi-category retail destination in the U.S. and the U.K. And that eventually became part of uh, Market America, which I think is a is an IR five hundred uh, or IR fifty, uh, excuse me. Um, online merchant, uh, founded my own company and, uh, really enjoyed that journey. Uh, shop.ca here in Canada was the first multi-merchant marketplace. Uh, that has since been amalgamated with several brands, uh, under an umbrella company called Emerge Commerce, uh, of which I'm chair of. And, uh, you know, back in 2015, it feels like, feels like quite a few years ago, but, but really only a few years ago, uh, really got the opportunity to, to come into, into Chino and help transform uh, the way men dress. And it's been, uh, you know, it's been an ingre- incredible few years. You know, the business has tripled in size. Uh, we've done so profitably, uh, attracted some world-class partners, investors. And of course, you know, every success starts with a team. We've got just a fantastic team at the company, um, you know, top to bottom. So it's, it's been a great experience. You know, Indochino was founded in 2007, uh, so you know we've been around for for just over 10 years, and have become you know over the last few years have become really the market leader globally. Uh, and sort of what does that mean? Well, it means that from a made-to-measure custom apparel standpoint, I do I don't believe there's any other company in the world that uh, sells and produces as much as as we do. And so that's you know, something we're very proud of, but 
you know, we, we treat with a lot of care and a lot of humility because, you know, we want to continue to build just a great business, not only for the team here, but obviously for our shareholders. Terrific. Um, so before we jump into Indochino, I actually have a shop.ca question. Um, mm-hmm. So I use them, or I should say you, all the time as an example of one of the, the first e-commerce sites to turn their entire customer base into affiliates. Mm-hmm. Am I being truthful there? I feel like they're... Yeah, that's actually, yeah, that's actually shop.com. And, and so, you know, that was post-acquisition uh, that that occurred. And, you know, that is the... That is sort of the bread and butter or model that that Market America has built their business on, and and you know they felt that that was the best application for for Shop.com. I mean, Shop.com originated as a marketplace, not unlike the Amazon marketplace, uh, but it was bifurcated. We had both you know cart transactions as well as affiliate transactions um, or link off, as it would be known. Uh, but yeah, Market America turned it into a almost a pure, purely affiliate and consumer affiliate site after they acquired it. Gotcha, very cool. Um, and did you have you uh, uh, applied any of the the best practices from that in uh, uh, your current gig? Do you guys do like customer referrals and all that sort of stuff? Uh, absolutely. I mean, I think you know the the interesting thing about that is I think the success of any. You know, in particular, online only, but really any retail business is based on, you know, consumer advocacy or or fandom, as we kind of talk about sometimes at Indochino. You know, the more that you can have fans of the the product or the brand or the experience, uh, in particular for us at Indochino, the experience. Um, you know, really the more the more not only are you going to grow, uh, but the more efficiently you're going to grow. Um, you know, when you have customers that are telling, you know, friends and family that they had a wonderful experience uh, and then those friends and family come in and make purchase, it just creates a really efficient growth. And so, you know, certainly I I would say that refer a friend, uh, whether, whether through paid or unpaid is probably our second biggest channel at Indochino. And so certainly we feel like we have a ton of fans out there, you know, talking about the brand and, and appreciating the experience we deliver. Cool. The uh, so for folks that may not have had the opportunity to uh, to use the site, maybe kind of give them a, mm-hmm. a, a quick pitch of of Indochino. You, you said kind of measured. So does that mean someone comes to me and measures? So, uh, and I know you guys have a unique take. So I want to hear what that is. Yeah. So if you think about you know bespoke or made to measure custom apparel, you know it's an industry that's been around for hundreds and hundreds of years. You know men have gone in and gotten measured and you know had been able to to create their own garment what we wanted to do was you know create a platform essentially to to allow it to be mass market to allow anybody uh to measure themselves uh, initially because we were on, online only first uh pick their fabrics pick their customizations their personalization such as a monogram you know on, on the garment and and really create a one-of-a-kind garment and so you know, we were the first globally to ever sell made to measure online. Really proud of that. But what we realized in, in 2015 and really what, what I've been driving the most last few years is, is, you know, our success is based on an omni-channel uh, experience and really giving customers the choice of, you know, buying online, which I call sort of the, the self-serve mode or getting a full-serve experience in one of our 17 showrooms across North America. 
Yeah, and that's a good segue because I, I kind of mentally put you guys in the bucket with Bonobos and uh, Stitch Fix and kind of what what Andy Dunn calls digitally native vertical brands. Um, and then mm-hmm. just like those guys, you guys have opened up these showrooms where they're kind of a smaller outlet uh, than a kind of a traditional retail experience um, and kind of a different, unique buying experience. Um, so tell us a little bit more. I think that's all been in your tenure or, or did the company have some yeah. you started? Yeah. I mean, we, we've, we've essentially, uh, opened, uh, every one of our showrooms or relocated them, you know, 2015 to, to 2017. And we really felt like to be, uh, you know, the, the undisputed leader and made to measure, but also to compete with ready to wear that we needed to provide customers with an omni-channel experience and, you know, what it's really allowed us to do is to open up, uh, you know, the made to measure experience to customers that just might not be comfortable you know, making their first purchase online as it relates to a, you know, a four to $500 purchase mm-hmm. uh, for a garment. And, you know, it's really become actually our number one acquisition channel. And I think as you, as you, you think about online only business, one, one of the toughest things is, is really scaling that business from a media perspective. And, you know, our, our retail environment not only benefits the customer, but it really benefits our model and creates, you know, media efficiency from a, from a, from a growth perspective. You know, we'll have averaged just over 50% growth year over year the last year, so 2015 to 2017. And we're seeing a declining uh, cost per acquisition and cost per, cost per order uh, from a media perspective. And that's you know, almost entirely to do with, with our, our commitment to retail and, and omni-channel. Cool. I, I haven't not had the opportunity to be in a showroom. Maybe describe it as this like, I'm imagining 2,000 square feet, some some examples and that kind of thing. But then I've seen pictures of foosball tables, so I'm kind of like curious where that, <laughs> that fits in. Yeah. You know, every showroom that we have, and as I mentioned, we've got 17. You know, in the U.S., we're in Boston. We've got two in New York, uh, two in the Philadelphia area. Now one in Washington, one in Chicago, San Francisco, and Beverly Hills. Every showroom's a bit different and unique, but they all have a very open design concept. Uh, they all allow for, you know, appointment. Uh, what, what we have is as an appointment-based model, where you know, a customer would come in, uh, they would be matched with what we call a style guide for that hour, and that style guide, as I said, would help them create their their garment. They would walk them through and get them measured. Um, they would have the customer, you know, pick out the fabrics and we've got almost 300 fabrics uh, for suits and almost 300 fabrics for shirts. And so they would pick their fabric, pick their stitching and pick other customizations and personalizations that, you know, at the end really allows them to, you know, create this one of a kind garment that, that, that nobody's going to be, you know, they're not going to go to a party or a dinner or an event and see somebody wearing the exact same garment. They're just Everyone is is entirely unique to that customer. That's awesome. Um, it, yeah. A question about the sort of omni-channel experience. So uh, it makes perfect sense that the showrooms could be your top acquisition channel. You go in there, you you get fitted, you get that fursuit, and uh, have a great experience. But I'm presuming that now you have their uh, measurements on file, and now that, that customer has a lot more confidence in your brand. Um, are you able to turn those kind of full service customers from their first experience into more self-service customers for subsequent orders? Is that 
Yeah, that, that that's exactly what happened. So of course you've got some customers that just, you know, prefer the, the, the retail environment or our showroom environment. But, you know, the reason that we're investing in retail in such a big way is that the majority of our retail first customers actually come back on their second, third, and fourth purchase and buy online. And so it creates this really sort of efficient relationship with a customer. We get it right the first time uh, from a showroom perspective, but because we've gotten it right there, you know, they're entirely comfortable coming back and buying it online. You know, we don't have a subscription model, but if you looked at, you know, the, 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 the repeat purchase rate in our business, you know, it's almost like we do, you know, customers are very loyal to the experience, very loyal to the brand. And frankly, you know, what we found, especially these last couple of years is, you know, made to measure and custom apparel is becoming mainstream. And so, you know, a young man or, 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 you know, someone that, that has that experience with made to measure is saying, you know what, I no longer want to buy a suit or shirt or blazer or a pair of pants off the rack. I want to, I want to create my own garment because it's that easy and it's that great. Cool. Yeah. You know, one thing I failed to, to ask about is, can you talk just a little bit about what the, like sort of end to end timeline is for, for a customer that buys a product? Like how, you know, yeah, absolutely. So, you know, if you're doing if you're doing the buying process or, you know, what we uh, from an internal perspective look at as the conversion funnel, you know, it does take some time. So it's not a an instantaneous purchase. You're you're choosing all your selections on the garment. Uh, but once you've done that, and you know, the the garment uh, essentially arrives in right now under three weeks. We we publish four is the expectation, uh, but we've really improved that through you know, different partnerships and optimization supply chain. And so if you think from start to finish, you're, you're basically creating your own garment, your own one of a kind garment and receiving it in under, in under three weeks. Wow. Very cool. Um, and my, my sense is like sort of old school, um, made to measure garments when you go to a local tailor or certainly like, you know, some of the, 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 the big international, um, suit houses, like the, like one of the big pain points traditionally with made to order is that there's a super long lead time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and that's, yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, some, you know, in some environments you'll wait five, six, seven weeks, uh, for your, for your garment. And we've really, you know, to really compete against made or ready to wear, to really be an alternative to off the rack, you know, we feel like we've got to get uh, that that turnaround time, you know, continue to optimize it, continue to improve it. You know, we don't have a timeline for it. We don't have, you know, a specific launch date, but our goal is to get it to under a week. Wow. And, you know, once you get it to under a week, if you kind of think about your own experiences buying a suit, um, even if you buy off the rack, you're still going to have to get an uh, alteration. So, you know, when we are at under a week in terms of production and, and final delivery, you know, we're entirely competitive with ready to wear and, and, uh, just that much more appealing to, to all types of consumers. Yep. Um, that brings up another great question. The, so one of the banes of the apparel industry in general in e-commerce is, uh, the return rate is higher than we'd all like. Um, and I, I, uh, I'm curious if, the the made to order helps resolve that problem because you've gotten a chance to meet the customer and you uh you know you're you have less fitment issues or you know part of me feels like even with um 
a bespoke tailor and a made-to-order suit. Like there often is more than one round of of adjustments, if you will. If I'm if I'm saying that right, like how, how do you right. handle that sort of stuff? I mean, these are this is a really good question because if you know when I think back to you know the first time I took a look at this business and and one of the things that really jumped out to me was the fact that you know return rates were so low. You know, they were two, three, sometimes four percent, depending on the time of the year. And as you guys know, in e-commerce, uh, in apparel, footwear, that's that's an incredibly low number. Um, now we've actually been able to get our returns to well under one percent, uh, and have been there for for over a year now. And again, that's that's an incredible number. Now we do have uh, alterations, uh, but but on a, but on a small percentage of the garments. Um, you know, sometimes if it's not made to the customers exact specifications we'll do what we call a remake but again that's the the minority of 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 the garments that we create and so you know return rate is one of the most incredible things about this business because if you compare you know to other apparel or apparel as a category you know most of apparel runs at you know in the 20s or even 30 percent from a return perspective yeah, I think I think most people would uh, give a uh, some significant body parts in exchange for getting down to a two to four percent return. Well, yeah, absolutely, because because it's the biggest impact to the P and L, right? And if you're especially if you're an online only apparel uh, retailer, it's 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 very difficult uh, from a model perspective. It's very different difficult from a P and L perspective, and so you know we're we're pretty proud of the fact that you know our return rates are so low. Nice. Uh, and then one last question yeah. uh, on, on the general business. I noticed on the website you also um, uh, have weddings in your in your taxonomy. And uh, we recently had uh, Zola on the show. So we, we, we've done some talking about how lucrative the, the overall wedding industry could be. What uh, how, how are you guys uh, playing in the wedding space? Yeah, I mean, that, that really goes to the customers that we serve. And, you know, our number one and sort of core demographic would be millennials. I think sixty, almost sixty-five percent of our transactions online are are serving, you know, that millennial male. Uh, it's a little bit lower in, in our showrooms, closer to fifty percent. Uh, but really, what we committed to a couple of years ago, and it's become our fastest-growing uh, demographic, is the is the wedding market. And so you mentioned you mentioned foosball tables earlier in the in the call. You know, one of the things that we've done with each showroom is set up a, a groom's lounge, and that's really to serve that market and to uh-huh. really become, you know, the place that that young men or any age men can get uh, can get themselves and their and their groom's party, you know, fitted for their wedding. And so I would I would say that wedding is probably our fastest growing segment, and certainly something that we're going to continue to focus on. Cool. It wouldn't be a Jason and Scott show uh, if we didn't talk about Amazon a little bit. So, uh, one Jason and I do a, a joint talk where we talk about you know the uh, uh, obviously how big Amazon is and how much they're soaking up of the growth out there. But one of the big yeah. tips we give people on protecting yourself is to wrap a service around a product. And um, it seems like you guys have done that. Uh, do you, do you have any fear of Amazon doing that, or do you feel like this is a, a quadrant of e-commerce they're probably not going to get to? Yeah, I think Scott will tell you this. I mean, it's it's um, you know, as an entrepreneur, you, you you can never live live in fear. You you gotta you gotta continue to innovate and continue to ideate. You know, whatever business you're running, I think I just have a tremendous amount of respect for Amazon and and 
you know, within the apparel category, they're obviously very, very committed to it and doing some amazing things. You know, for us, one of the things that we really, um, you know, committed to not just to not just to differentiate ourselves from Amazon, but really, I would say the entire apparel category is really not not put forth that we're selling a product. We've really focused on uh, selling or even just providing an experience. And so more and more for our customers, what we aspire and what we try to inspire is the fact that we do provide an experience. And it's, it's a totally different experience than you know, going into a, a store or going online and buying an item. Um, in that instance, you're really just buying a product, right? And, and for us, it's entirely different. Mm-hmm. You know, whether it's, you know, the interactions that they have with our style guides and how well that they're trained or the, you know, the online experience of creating fine garment. Um, we've really focused on selling an experience versus a product. Cool. And you guys um, have obviously caught the eye of VCs in a, an environment when it's really hard for commerce kind of companies to get funding. Um, you know, mm-hmm. I, I noticed Madrona's in there. That's that's a really kind of real consumer blue chip. Uh, how much yeah. capital have you guys raised? Yeah, we're really we're really fortunate to have, you know, a world class set of investors. We've got, you know, Madrona uh, and Scott Jacobson at Madrona is my partner there, um, you know, deeply involved with the success of the company. Uh, Porchlight Equity, which was formerly Highland Consumer, is also very, very involved uh, in our success and has been, you know, a big force in driving it. We've also added strategic investors. So we have, you know, Diane Group uh, that's based in in China uh, and one of the largest and best uh, suit manufacturers in the world uh, owns, um, you know, a part of the company. Uh, We've got a media company here in Canada that that took ownership in the company and, uh, you know, we'll continue to, to round out and look for world-class investors, but we're also profitable at this point. And, um, you know, that's a, that's a, you know, fairly good position to be in. Yeah. The best time to raise money is when you don't need it in my experience. <laughs> that's, that's what I hear. That's what I hear. <laughs> yeah. Uh, two quick ones. So you, you've kind of, uh, piqued my curiosity with the millennial kind of, uh, you know, concentration any interesting observations as someone that's been in an industry for a while about you know you hear all these kind of uh, it's kind of a funny meme that they always joke around the office millennials are killing this that and the other but they're they're obviously you know not killing uh you know suits uh, so uh any observations you can share about what you've seen there well i think there's a, a few different things i think number one you know it's a it's a it's a demographic that really takes a lot of pride in in being uh their own brand and, you know, for us, I think that's why we resonate so well with millennials. You know, they're able to create, you know, a one of a kind in the Chino, which in a lot of ways becomes a representation of who they are and, and their own brand. And so, you know, I think that that, you know, just the, the experience and the product that we provide really fits into that. Um, they're also, they've become, and we see it in our, you know, our lifetime value studies and our repeat purchase rate studies extremely loyal. You know, if they, if they enjoy something, if they like something, um, you know, they're going to be loyal and they're going to tell their friends. And so, you know, but it is important to get it right. Uh, I think that's, I think that's true in, in any demographic, not just millennials. So. One, One of the things that's interesting to me in the, uh, sort of custom product space, which I, 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 you know, sort of put you in, uh, 
you know, uh, all customers, but in particular millennials and, and, uh, we're starting to see this in Gen Z as well. Like the, uh, there, there seems to be a strong pre- preference for more individualistic proce- uh, products and, and sort of, you know, less right. following the pack. But uh, they also want people to know that it's individualistic. So I, I'm almost wondering, like, are, you know, there, I think there's certain features in your product that um, sort of reveal it's a, a, a made to order product as opposed to it, you know, looking like a, um, a ready to wear product. Like, do you, do you find customers like, intentionally select those features so that they're sort of broadcasting a little bit that they that they're wearing a made to, yeah. to suit. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of what I mean about being able to create their own brand, right? They're not uh you know, they're when they're creating an Indochino garment, they're creating something that's truly one of a kind. And they're able to, you know, put a monogram uh very very easily, you know, within the jacket or on the shirt or on other parts of the garment. Um, you know, they're able to pick their own lining from dozens of different choices, they're able to pick a fabric and maybe mix that fabric, you know, up across the suit. And so, you know, really there's dozens of, of different, uh, customizations and personalizations. And if, you know, you kind of look at all the permutations that could be created, there's literally tens of millions of different types of suits that could be created. And I think that's really appealing. You know, I don't know if you guys remember, but I always hated, you know, in high school going to a party and, you know, having bought a sweater at, you know, whatever retailer and then find out that there's three other guys at that party with the same sweater or same jacket, have you? And so, you know, that doesn't happen with Indochino. You've created your own, again, one-of-a-kind garment. I, I totally get your point, but I don't think Scott or I got invited to parties in high school very much. Oh, I've, I've seen Scott at a few parties. I don't know, man. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I'm teasing. Do you like, so obviously you're, you're in a, a, a sort of a leading edge category in terms of made to order. Like, do you, do you see that extending to more generally to other consumer products? Like, do you, uh, do you expect that that's a continuing trend or do you think it will stick with, you know, particular verticals? I, you know what, it's another great question, man. I do think that a big part of the future retail is going to be uh, more customized and personalized products. And the more that, you know, retailers or companies or manufacturers can get away from uh, a commoditized product, I think the more success they're going to have. And so I really do feel like at the highest level, custom, what I'll say is custom, uh, you know, product is, is, is really the future of retail in a lot of different verticals, uh, but certainly in apparel uh, for sure. Yep. And obviously that's, that certainly uh, helps you build a competitive moat. You know, it does. I mean, you, you know, the thing about competitive modes is you got to be, uh, you know, aware of, of what you need to do to, to protect and grow the business. And, you know, we, we, we constantly look for what I'll call additional modes, if you will. But, um, you know, we're, 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 we're humbled by the response that we're getting from consumers right now. And we're very excited about what, you know, what the decades ahead are going to bring. So. Nice. Uh, another uh, area, sort of future looking, that I'm always interested in. And I, I talk a lot about Fitman, and we talked about uh, in the ready to wear space. The return rates are huge, and you know, typically the number one reason for returns are are Fitman issues. Uh, you obviously solve that for the subset of your customers that go to a showroom that they they can get 
measured by a tailor. Um, but to enable more people to be self-service and reach more people, I, I imagine you're always interested in, in uh, you know, how to best get measurements at home. I know there's at least one company in the space uh, that tries to use the mobile phone camera for fitment. And I, I think, you know, I, I suspect that's strongly a gimmick, but I do know there's a lot of phones coming out with sort of 3D scanning capability. And that, you know, I've, I've always speculated that that potentially is uh, really useful for fitment. Are you guys looking at all at those kind of technologies? Yeah, we, we, I mean, we're always looking at uh, new ways to, to create a and craft a perfectly fitted garment. I think, you know, if, this is an extremely complex business, right? In terms of creating, you know, one-to-one product on a, on a per consumer basis. And while those te- technologies are, are cool and, you know, seem to, uh, you know, sort of come in and out, I, I, I do think the backend operations of how you create, you know, an efficient one-to-one uh, product per customer is, is the most important. Um, the last thing you want to do is introduce a technology that you're going to end up with, you know, return rates that are closer to, you know, traditional apparel. And so, you know, I think there's going to be a lot of technology development around, you know, how you get measurements or how we get measurements. But, um, you know, I kind of like what we're doing right now in terms of the technology that we use to to get the garments right on a one-to-one basis. Gotcha. Um, another trend, like in this sort of adjacent spaces that I've been a little interested in, uh, last quarter Adidas did this interesting pilot where they're weaving sweaters on demand in a store. Um, and then I think, uh, it's, uh, ministry of supply in Boston literally have a, a blazer weaving machine in the store. And I, 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 I'm going to say loosely, they make a blazer while you wait. I think it's like a three or four hour process. Um, Right. So, so obviously not not super convenient or scalable right at the moment, but like, is that a potential uh, opportunity for you or competitor for you in the future? Like, do you see the technology ever getting good enough that a lot of this stuff gets made in in real time in stores or ship same day to customers or those kinds of things? Yeah, I mean, I think anything's possible as we, you know, as we go through the years and decades ahead. I, I, I the 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 thought of being able to create you know, a garment like we create, but do it same day or in the store or have it delivered the same day. I mean, that's an incredibly, uh, you know, bold, uh, dream or delivery, but, you know, I, I, from a, from a suit perspective, I do believe that we're one of the, the fastest in terms of how we produce our supply chain all the way through to the consumer. Um, and, and like I mentioned earlier, you know, we're constantly optimizing and tweaking that because once you get it down to under a week, um, you've got something very, very unique and, and highly competitive with, you know, what is essentially about a $7 billion market in North America. And so, you know, I've, I've, I've seen, uh, the, I'll call them campaigns or, or product launches that you mentioned, but I, I think we're a bit of ways from being able to scale that, uh, on a mass basis. So for sure, for sure. Those certainly seem like the kind of, you know, er, early tip of the spear examples, um, which are always interesting, but probably not economically viable. Um, sort of last question, anything else that has you excited or interesting about the, the future of commerce in general or, or your space in particular, any, any, uh, trends you, uh, are seeing on the horizon? Well, you know what, man, like as a, as a technology, uh, e-commerce guy, I, I'm just a, a really, really big fan and really interested on how retail's evolving. 
you know, it's um, that's what's got me most excited and interested on how, you know, online only brands transition into uh, either an omni-channel environment or how do they leverage retail to drive their business. I think there's going to be some really incredible innovations and developments uh, over the coming years. And, and we hope to be part of that. We think we are actually, you know, a big part of it from a, from a leadership perspective and, and leading the way there. Uh, terrific. I think that's actually going to be a, a great place to, uh, to wrap up because it has happened again. We've used up all our allotted time. Uh, so Drew, I really want to thank you for joining us and uh, sharing the Indochino experience with uh, our, our listeners. And uh, I'll, I'll remind the listeners, as always, uh, you're welcome to continue the dialogue on our Facebook page. If you like today's show, um, we, we'd certainly appreciate a five-star review on iTunes. If you hated today's show, uh, for sure, don't review us. Yeah, absolutely do not review. Because <laughs> it was probably my fault if you hated it. You guys are great. I appreciate your time today. Thanks, Drew. We look forward to hearing more about the success of Indochino. Thank you so much. Until next time, happy commerce. You've been listening to The Jason and Scott Show. For all the latest news and trends on e-commerce and shopper marketing, subscribe to us on iTunes or visit www.jasonandscott.com.